One of the key goals of a government is to ensure that everyone has access to affordable, nutritious food and information to make healthy decisions. Sadly, most governments, even ours, fail to meet this goal. Luckily, often a non-profit organization steps in and does the work. Today we are talking with the Food Trust out of Philadelphia, one of the leading organizations in this field about fresh food access and affordability for all. All that and more today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. While it is the foundation for a robust and healthy society, affordable, nutritious food coupled with information and education on how to make healthy choices for one's life are not easy to come by in every community throughout the country. Today, we are talking with an organization that, for over 20 years, has been working with neighborhoods, schools, grocers, farmers, and policymakers to address this challenge. In health, we trust fresh food access and affordability for all, our topic in this hour. But before we dive in, here's our week's review. Sita, what do you got? Actually, I'm going to throw it back to you because you oh. brought up a topic that was <laughs> very timely. And, and I have to say, much like your intro to today's show, it's also very progressive, which is something oh. that I respect about you because you are not afraid to challenge the status quo. Well, it's it sometimes slapped in your face so hard that it's hard to not recognize the discomfort that comes with it. I was scheduled for a routine medical procedure just as a preventative treatment, and I looked at the costs associated with that, and the procedure cost round about $4,000, $5,000. It's an endoscopy, pre-cancer screening, wherever you do that. This is just an outpatient clinic. You're in and out in an hour or an hour and a half. Endoscopy and colonoscopy together, right? Exactly, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. And it's about a $5,000 price sticker. The same exact procedure, because I'm traveling to Germany, visiting family, so I inquire just of curiosity what it costs there, is uh, $600. And the German medical field and the German medical education is at par, if not superior, to the U.S. It's at least as good. We're talking eight years of basic training and another six to eight years of specialty before you can even start a day clinic like this to do these procedures. So these are highly specialized doctors. We are not going to a developing country where we just talk about basic care and because people make less money. No, this is, this is one of the leading medical countries in the world in terms of standards and education. So if you really compare the exact same procedure as a day clinic, an outpatient clinic, it is really the exact same format. There's nothing different. The only difference is it's 10% of the price of what it would cost here in the United States. And I hear this when people talk about drugs in Canada. You know, if you have a chance to cross the border and you get literally the same packaging, the same drug from the same company for a fraction, for a few dollars, compared to a 60 70 80 $200 price tag for some drugs here in the United States. 
one asks, why is that? It is obviously not the cost. It's not subsidized. I don't have health insurance in Germany. Anyone could fly there and get the same treatment for the same price as I'm doing. It has nothing to do with me being German. So it's an interesting system. And what I love hearing now is how we are breaking up those crusty systems that we have accepted for 30 or 40 years in every part of society. We've seen that in transportation, where now through several other alternatives to cabs and public transportation, people have come in and started companies to offer, you know, car share options or rent a car for just two hours. Really easy based on membership and all kinds of apps for your, for your smartphone. And so the entire world of transportation is redefined. And the same is happening in, in the medical field now. Uh, I know there's a company that offers blood tests where you don't have to extract blood in a laboratory anymore. You literally just put your finger on a little thing. It pricks you, just like you would do a, a sugar test as a, as a diabetic. You need one drop of blood, and you get the exact same blood panel that you would get sending something to the laboratory. And it, it's faster, it's less invasive, and it costs a fraction. We're talking $25, $30 what was, you know, if a full, however much blood people take in the laboratory, and then you wait for three days and you pay $400 for the lab test or your insurance does, and that translates back to how much your insurance costs are. So there are these new solutions. And, um, and I, I heard now about a company just last week, it's called First Derm. It's an app, you send in a photo of your skin lesion or skin disease, whatever you are experiencing, your skin condition. And they have 100 doctors on staff, and they actually look at your photo and they say, we believe it's this, or this looks like, you know, it could be that. And then they give you a treatment plan, how they would address it. So legally, just as with transportation, there's a, a whole body that needs to be navigated well and responsibly, of course. And the cap industry doesn't love it that there are new now so many alternatives and the medical field will have some resistance to this. And yet it can be done for a fraction of the cost, the fraction of the time and a fraction of the impact on our bodies. And I just love that. I also know of another nonprofit who is training villages in Africa to basically deal with 80% of their their health cases themselves, because one doctor in Africa deals with 100,000 patients. So by empowering people to somehow have a different charge around their own health. You know, we, we're just really empowering communities in Africa, people here. We're addressing the health cost in this kind of weird system that nobody understands why it has to be this expensive. Well, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. <laughs> and I think that there are, there are going to be a lot of opinions on this exact topic and this specific angle. And I encourage our listeners to let us know what you think. Yeah, so that's my opinion. What do you think? Um, great. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, I do have some opinion around all that, don't we? Uh, in health, we trust how appropriate fresh food access and affordability for all. Our topic in this hour of an organic conversation, that and more is what's coming up. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Stay tuned for more.
Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. In health, we trust. In food, we trust too. Fresh food access and affordability for all our topic in this hour. But first, as always, here's Chef Sita, a.k.a. Sitarani Palomar and her holistic bite. Well, today we have with us on the line our dear friend, Dr. Ed Bowman from Bowman College. Yay. Ed, hi. Hi, Sita. Welcome hi, everyone. Back. Hi, welcome. <laughs> hi, Ed. Welcome back. We had such a nice call with you last month when you called in to talk about sun protection and the foods we can eat for healthy skin. And today, it's a, it's, we're a little bit different season now. And it's really hot. And we're also, as people are entering back into school sports training, in general, yeah. there's a good amount of sweat happening right now, which means right. we should be paying attention to electrolytes. And we want to hear from you why we should be paying attention to electrolytes. So what are they and why are they so important? Electrolytes are minerals and minerals are found in good organic food. We must always remember that in our soils. And it's sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. And they send electrical impulses that influence the heart, the muscles, and the nerves. And they're very important in fluid balance and hydration. So that's why exercise, we're losing sweat, and we could also be losing electrolytes. Is there an indication? Like when our electrolytes get off balance, do we notice any symptoms? Oh, yeah. Typically cramps. It's muscle cramps, soreness, and spasms following exercise. And, you know, for some people, it's headaches and fatigue and lightheartedness. And for others, it's water retention or cardio issues like arrhythmia. When we look at what the world of sports, and particularly sports mm-hmm. drinks, offers, we don't want to mention any brands here that we don't well, support anyway, but are electrolytes, since it's minerals, usually basically all the same? Or what are the differences of eating fresh organic food, for example, and, and basically ingesting the soil compared to a drink? And I'm not even talking about the sugar that's usually in those, but like really, what's the best form? And are all electrolytes basically the same? Well, there's different types of electrolytes, and they're found in fruits and veggies, and they're found in nuts and seeds. So they're, they're not originally found in bottles in sports drinks. <laughs> so the sports drinks is, is taking advantage of people's exercise uh, intensity and all that. They can be found in lemon water with a pinch of salt. So that's, mm. that's the easiest way to go. And electrolytes are really great in coconut water 
And if people want to take that coconut water just a little further, add about a sprig or two of sea vegetable, and the sea vegetable will get the sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium. You know, so as you're talking about this, I'm, I'm envisioning like what the experience is of tasting all of those things in combination. Yeah, nice. And I can actually feel in my mind's eye what that is like. And it feels extremely hydrating and refreshing. And I think that you know, this time of year also when melons are just uh-huh. in full mm-hmm. force, melons are a great source of electrolytes as well, right? Yeah. They're very high in potassium and sodium. Potassium is what people tend to be lower in. Potassium and magnesium are what most people miss. And when they miss those, they cramp up and they get lightheaded and spacey. So what are some of the highest electrolyte foods? You mentioned seaweeds and coconut water. That's great. Some lemon water with a pinch of salt does the trick often. But can you list five more of what people should be including in their diet right now? Well, you know, summer vegetables, summer fruits are perfect. Whether we have them in a salad or whether we have them in a smoothie, whether we have them in a juice, The juice is the most concentrated form of those minerals. And summer vegetables from organic soil will will do it really well. And for most people, they don't need electrolyte replacement. You have to sweat for over two hours to begin to be a little bit off. And if people are healthy and well-mineralized, it's not that big of a concern. But if you feel crampy, a lot of people have soreness and cramps after activity. That's an indication that more potassium, magnesium would be there, and nuts and seeds and greens are an excellent source mm. of magnesium. So it's not just dehydration, it's actually mineral loss, at least with mm-hmm. that as well. Mm-hmm. And Over-caffeination it, will do it too. And interesting that you said, you know, right now what's in season is basically the best antidote Perfect. to losing minerals that nature really always exactly provides in season what is needed for us the most. (laughs) That's such a great Mm -hmm. reminder. So don't get out in the morning and run two miles on an empty stomach without getting some hydration and some uh, plant minerals in the program. Great. Juice, smoothie, run. That's great. Ed, we love having (laughs) you on. You do such a great job of making nutrition simple. You, it's just, it's easy for us to make sure we're taking care of our health and we credit Talk that to Talk about condensed Collins, so flavor you. and condensed knowledge. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> well, we look forward thank to having you, you back, we'll next, you back month next month with month. new nutrition for the season. Thank you so much. I'll be Ed. with you. Talk Take to care, you then. Everyone. Thanks, Ed. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. We're talking about in health we trust, fresh food access and affordability for all. How a not-for-profit organization in Philadelphia developed a comprehensive approach to improved food access that combines nutrition education and greater availability of affordable, healthy food. And with us now on the phone calling in from Philadelphia is the Director of External Affairs, of the Food Trust. That's thefoodtrust.org. For more information, Dwayne Wharton. Dwayne, are you there? I am here. Thank you. Hi, Thank- Dwayne. Welcome to this show. Thank you very much. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for making the time. And it's amazing to learn that the Food Trust in Philadelphia identified a challenge 20 years ago when really access to food was even healthy food was a topic that was pretty juvenile in itself and not yeah. established and how that would influence lives, but access to it and the affordability and the education around that. Can you tell us how this started? What is the Food Trust and why was it created? Yeah, so the Food Trust is a Philadelphia-based national nonprofit that works to ensure that everyone has access to healthy, affordable food and the education that they need to make healthy decisions. 
And we started out of a big public market we have here in Philadelphia called the Reading Terminal Market. And at the time, the manager of the market, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dwayne Perry, um, was the manager and noticed that there were a number of reoccurring customers that would show up each week. These little old ladies that would be uh, pushing around a cart uh-huh. and traveling, you know, on two and three buses to get to Reading Terminal to buy their produce and to buy some of their meats and, and really spend some of their days. And it was obviously a challenge for them. And he asked, why do you travel so far each week to come to the market? And their answers were kind of universally that they couldn't find these things in their neighborhoods. So Dwayne got to know these customers and understand that healthy food access was a barrier. Um, He began working with a number of the growers. We have a bunch of Amish farmers, and we have some wholesalers there. And he began taking their products from the terminal market down to one of our public housing complexes in South Philly, the Tasker Homes, and selling on the sidewalk to the residents. And this is uh, our first farmer's market, and you know we still uh, have the farmer's market program uh, in, throughout the city, so we operate about 30 at this time, and we are mostly still in underserved areas trying to connect healthy foods to communities that need it the most. I love the way that you've extended what's happened at Reading Terminal. I've I've actually had the fortune to go to and eat at Reading Terminal, which is just a it's a phenomenal food hub. There are so many things going on there. Lots of fresh food, lots of um, artisan goods, people who are in their own food business and selling there. And so to take this, everything that comes to this one place and export it out to people to make it more accessible for them and then working directly with the people who are creating the goods or delivering the goods to get the price affordable is really brilliant. And you started by saying that part of what inspired this idea were specific people who were traveling intentionally, coming a long way to be there. And yet there's another thing that's happening on the flip side. You're not just taking this to people who really want it and are willing to go get it, but you're also bringing it to people who may not have thought about what they didn't have access to or what they were missing. Can you talk about how this specific work you're doing is changing the way the communities are thinking about healthy food? We started as this farmer's market and, and then quickly realized that access is only a piece of it, that people simply didn't have the education that they needed to make decisions that were going to be good for themselves and for their families. So we provided them with nutrition education, uh, working in church basements, doing cooking demonstrations and lessons on how and what the benefits were of healthy products. We began working with corner store operators to explain to them the impact of the highly processed and overly packaged foods and the lack of healthy food options in stores, uh, what that impact was on communities. And then we tried to help them understand how they could replace these unhealthy items with healthier ones and still make it profitable. So providing them with technical assistance. We also recognize that in communities, supermarkets was a missing element. Back in the 80s, there was a great deal of urban flight. Folks left for the suburbs and left in their place. You know, a lot of empty stores and the corner stores actually popped up and took the place of being the main food providers for a number of neighborhoods. So we wanted to bring supermarkets back. We actually did some really interesting things, you know, a decade ago. Started looking at neighborhoods that were mostly low income and of communities of color and 
and wanted to see where there were supermarkets and where there weren't supermarkets, where was there an overlap, and then we added a third element, looked at the diet-related disease that was associated in those communities and what the deaths that were related to diet were in those communities as well. And we saw that neighborhoods that were poor, that didn't have supermarkets, really had higher episodes of diet-related disease and death. So we used this information to educate the public and also lawmakers and started talking about what were the policy solutions we can come up with to address this issue because it's a big public health issue. And, you know, one of the biggest things that came out of that effort was this Healthy Food Finance Initiative, where at the time, State Representative uh, Dwight Evans, who was the chair of the Appropriations Committee, these issues resonated with him. And he uh, helped shepherd $30 million from the state to create a fund that was then managed by our partner organization, the Reinvestment Fund. And they managed those dollars brilliantly and attracted a lot of public support to it as well and grew that pot to $150 million and began making grants and loans to operators that wanted to return to these underserved communities. And as a result, we had close to 90 new supermarkets pop up all across the state of Pennsylvania. That was my follow-up question, because what we are talking about is a complete systems change, right? You're working from the field with the farmers all the way to even new stores, existing stores. You include nutrition information and education on healthy lifestyle and training there uh, with the price point of food, making it affordable for low-income communities. It is really looking at from soil and seed to the final purchase and then some. Those kind of changes are incredibly difficult, financed or not. We applaud your work because... One has to go first. If the farmer produces healthy food and nobody buys it, they will stop doing so. If the store lists or or puts healthy food in their shelves and nobody buys it, they will stop doing so. And if people are not educated enough, why would they buy it? So it is kind of an interesting strategic challenge to make sure that all these components that you are addressing are kind of moving forward at the same time. They're all complementary. Of course, yes. There are efforts in schools to educate youth as well and to get fryers out of schools and to get sugar-sweetened beverages out of the vending machines and replace it with water and milk. And we started seeing that through this comprehensive approach. And this isn't just the food trust work. I mean, we have a fantastic Department of Public Health here who have been supportive of these efforts and complementary to the efforts as well. But we started to see declines in obesity rates amongst our school kids. So we want to we want to talk about that um, in a much longer segment um, right okay. after the break. Let's take a quick break. But that's amazingly inspiring already. And that is Dwayne Wharton, the director of external affairs from the Food Trust, calling today out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in this hour of an organic conversation on food accessibility, fresh food access, and affordability combining education, policy work, even working with farmers and supermarkets to empower neighborhoods to change really their lifestyle. And absolutely, it starts with food, or at least it's one of those key indicators and and key components to create a healthier community and healthier society. Dwayne, stay with us. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar.
Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And on the phone with us is Dwayne Wharton, Director of External Affairs for the Food Trust out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, really a groundbreaking initiative that started 20 years ago to give fresh food access and make fresh food affordable, combine education and work from the farm all the way to policymakers to change the health profile of the community in Philadelphia and as we will learn now far beyond. Dwayne, I want to come back to the conversation we just ended it started with a $30 million initiative, um, sounds like a bond or, or some money that was dedicated to tackling this, which then was well managed and grew into now a $150 million pot that steers these efforts on so many levels. And because of the size of this pot as it has grown, loans can be made to store owners. There's just a lot of monetary support to help with this work and this transformation. I want to ask you how has the community's response been to your work now after this time? I'm sure it took some years to build the trust on all levels, but yep. you are now an institution. The Food Trust in Philadelphia is celebrated throughout the country as one of the leading organizations in this field, really groundbreaking. And you are actually educating other nonprofits and other leaders in yeah. this work to do it in their communities. But what has the response been um, over the years? What, where is it now? And most of all, putting this in relation to the money that you are pulling from to make this work possible. Have you tracked the monetary impact on the transformation through your work? In other words, the obesity rates having come down, the health impact, crime perhaps being addressed. Is yep. there any way to, to track and trace what the benefits for Philadelphia have been? We're Philadelphia-based, but we are working around the country, like you mentioned, and we're working with a number of partner organizations helping them do similar things. So there has been, you know, this healthy fresh food finance initiative. There's a federal program that's been modeled after it, and they're able to support other communities who are doing similar things. There are lots of states that have adopted healthy food finance initiatives as well. Lots of cities are adopting corner store programs. There are incentive programs for use of SNAP benefits at farmer's markets. There are one-to-one you know, -one matches. If you if you spend $10, you'll get 10 back in a coupon. We know that across the country, there are 23 million people at least that don't have access to fresh, healthy food. They have to depend on convenience stores and fast food outlets. And we look at this as a social justice issue. 
you know, access to healthy, affordable food should Absolutely. be for the privilege, yes. but it should be a right for everyone. Of course. And you have no chance to improve your health outcome if you don't have the resources to make these healthy choices. When a new supermarket opens in a community and it's done in a way that's respectful and inclusive and takes the community's needs and wants into account, it's so well received. It speaks to the community being seen as something that's valuable and valuable. There are jobs that are tied to these efforts as well, which is one of the residual benefits. In Pennsylvania alone, we talked about these 90 projects, but 5,000 jobs are tied to that as well. You know, when you have these public-private partnerships, lots of great things can happen. So the response has been tremendous throughout the country, and, and, and people want to have access to healthy, affordable foods. And we're just trying to find ways to make it happen and to incentivize people to actually, you know, eat healthier and, and lead healthier lives. So, Dwayne, you've been able to talk about a good amount of the impact you've had in bringing accessibility and affordability to these communities. But the other part of it is education. And I know that you said you are doing more cooking classes. There's nutrition education. You're actually essentially stoking the fire of desire for healthy lifestyle and healthy food. And that's what's going to turn people on to going to access the healthy food that you're bringing to them. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And particularly, if you have some memorable stories about aha moments or or really big positive impacts that have happened on the personal level for people in the communities that are affected by your work. Yeah, we do our best to meet people where they are. When we work with businesses like corner stores, you know, a lot of times there are perceptions of say that the store owners don't value the community and that they don't have the community's best interest at heart. And we don't believe that. We just know that they have to make a profit. And that when we can show them how they can be profitable by selling healthier items, they do it. And we recognize that these corner stores are community hubs. That's where kids go before school and after school and that's where their parents are stopping in, you know, before work and after work. And we know that our efforts need to complement each other. So in schools, we're providing nutrition education to kids. And we're, you know, teaching them about the sugar content that exists in sodas and, sure. and why drinking water and low-fat milk is a better option for you. And with their parents, we're in the church basement working with them to, again, teach them how they can prepare healthier meals. It's almost a lost art, right, of cooking produce. Mm -hmm. And we're now doing those things in corner stores as well. Hmm. So we are doing cooking demos so that when a family or an individual comes in, um, they see someone there making healthy products and healthy meals at an affordable price point. So for $5, you can feed a family of four with these healthy things that you can find right here in this store. So the kids are now looking for it because they've been educated in schools and they want it. And the parents know that they can go to the store and get these healthy items as well. And it's just building upon each other. It's a really um, so comprehensive approach, actually. It sounds like the way you're doing it where you're educating the kids in school and then the kids who spend time at the corner stores outside of school that see the see the cooking demos the, and the parents yep. and the parents who also see the cooking demos but are getting their own cooking <laughs> demos in an adult yep. atmosphere so that they can then take those values back into their home kitchen it is um it is comprehensive yeah and one of my favorite stories associated is you know we want to take it we want to continue to enhance our programs and improve them as best as possible so now we're partnering 
with a few hospitals. So Lincoln All Hospital here and Jefferson Hospital um, in Philadelphia. So we now have medical professionals, doctors and nurses, and, and their students at farmer's markets doing screenings around prehypertension and, and doing follow-ups with them. They're in corner stores alongside our staff who are doing cooking demos. And each month, the residents of that neighborhood know that the cooking demos happen, that the doctors will be back, and we see them coming back and receiving kind of this returned service. And one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that the number of African-American men who are frequenting these services, and typically, you know, there's a barrier that I think we talk about for men and receiving medical care. And, you know, in this case, an additional barrier of, you know, African-American men receiving care. But in this store environment that's familiar and safe, we're seeing lots of men come in and and receive service. And that there is a follow-up which occurs, you know, with these doctors each month and with their primary care physicians and with the hospital clinics as well. Um, So that's one of the the biggest kind of surprises that I've seen and, and successes of some of these complementary and comprehensive efforts. That's amazing. It, it almost doesn't matter if they come in for the fresh food first and then associate that. I mean, what's being communicated is, is holistic health. And whether yep. that's through entering a store and you find you know organic produce and healthy fresh vegetables on the shelves and there's the screening preventative, mostly wonderful, or they know it's there and they come in for the screening and they find all these vegetables and the doctors are trained enough and smart enough to, to recommend a healthy lifestyle as being part of your program. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to give people multiple access points. You mentioned the SNAP program. Of course, that's a supplemental nutrition assistant program. Now, finally, if you are on, on food stamps, you can bring them to the farmer's market and uh, get fresh vegetables before that just a few years ago that was un- unheard of and that's now available you're listening to an organic conversation i'm helga helberg and i'm Sitarani palomar in this hour of fresh food access and affordability education for all led by the amazing food trust out of philadelphia a nonprofit organization that is really plowing the way there for us as a country we're speaking with the director of external affairs dwayne wharton and dwayne what i really like about how the food trust has held on to the vision and mission is somebody needs to lead the way and we are coming full circle to the beginning of, of our conversation where we were touching on, you are now, even though out of Philadelphia, it is a problem that is occurring in really every city in the United States and yeah. even beyond. There's no city, I believe, that can call itself healthy and you know connected to fresh vegetables within a mile. Otherwise, it's ca- called, these areas are called food deserts. Like those problems are everywhere. And you are now training nonprofits and leaders uh, really throughout the U.S. and maybe beyond. Can you talk about how you see your work growing? Like what's the goal of the Food Trust for the next 30 years in Philadelphia and as a model for other communities and cities uh, throughout the U.S. and around the world, Philadelphia being the healthiest city in the on the planet, is that the <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that, that the vision? Of course, that's the vision for not only just the city of Philadelphia, but for the country. Nice. And you know, we know that there has been this kind of uh, forward trend for uh, obesity that it continues to rise. Yes. Um, and I think that Philadelphia has become 
you know, a, a popular place for people to point at just because we're seeing that the rates of obesity amongst our kids decreasing, and particularly for African-American boys and Latino girls, which are, you know, uh, really populations that haven't seen a lot of progress in these issues. You know, we don't have the silver bullet. We really are effective because we work with great partners, not only here in Philadelphia, but around the country. And I think if we can pass on some of the lessons that we've learned and even learn from other communities, then, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, much better off and we'll, we'll continue with that effort. We also know that there are complementary efforts that are happening in general around fighting obesity. So not only are we looking at healthy food access as a solution, but we're looking to our partner organizations around the country to make sure that kids have safe routes that they can get to and from school and that playgrounds are left open so that kids can utilize them. That marketing to really vulnerable communities is limited, that we can promote the drinking of water. So it's not just us. I think that we're learning from each other around the country and lots of great people are doing good work and, you know, we're just really happy to be a part of it. Yeah, and if one were to follow the work of the Food Trust for the last 20 years, what's really what makes your organization an absolute leader is that you didn't just develop an approach and then employed that approach and never questioned it. It feels like this is work in progress and your experience and what you've learned working with stores and farmers, which are two areas that are not easy. They work on really slim margins. Mm -hmm. Farmers don't just change their agricultural practices and, and trust a new market because it might mean jeopardizing their farm. So there's just a lot of sensitivity Sensitivity and, and vulnerability really in this work that you were able to address successfully and keep questioning to make it better and learn from. And that's, it's really wonderful work. Thank you so yeah. much for, for doing what you do. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and, and you know, hear about our story. It's yes. a wonderful it. story. And the model that you guys are using is so successful. I'm looking forward to seeing the many people who are encouraged to take similar steps. And that's the foodtrust.org. Again, Dwayne Wharton, the Director of External Affairs for the Food Trust, who joined us today from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thanks, Dwayne. Thanks for making the time. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Have Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Right, take care. You know, that's an interesting point that he brought up right at the end there. I've actually seen advertisements. Just the first one the other day while I was on the bus, it said, hey, soda company, your beverages are hurting my community. And this must be the type of partner that he's talking about, where they're helping to educate communities about the things that are having harmful effects and how they don't want that kind of marketing on impressionable impressionable communities. Yes. And I love the idea of keeping the playgrounds, you know, reinvigorated and open so kids can go after school to play, to, to have physical exercise. It's not just a safe place. It's a physical exercise place. Like, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you play for an hour or two, you leave all the calories right there. You play with, you know, your peers, your kids, your other friends. You learn social dynamics. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so good. It's Good work is just so good. <laughs> it's a, what a great, so great. interview. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Dwayne, again. Dwayne Wharton, Director of External Affairs, thefoodtrust.org, all one word, thefoodtrust.org. Check out their work. Changing the way, for 20 years now, changing the way an entire community relates to healthy, fresh food access and affordability. And we're... And much more. I mean, and, and much, much more. It's not just the healthy food. It's, it's their whole health. Yes. Health and safety and 
just doing the right thing, making it a better community on really every level. Amazing. And food is such a great foundation to start off with. And we are staying with the topic of healthy, fresh food. Here is what's in season. And with us now, as always, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Earl Herrig of Earl's Organic. Earl, are you there? Hello, Helga. <laughs> hey, Earl. Hi, Welcome to the show. Are you basking in the beauty and bounty of July, August, September fruit and vegetables? You know, that, that is such a perfect way, way to put it. it, it I almost feel clumsy. There's so much. I mean, we've been to your warehouse many times and in January or February when people think there should be no production and it's filled to the brim with amazing produce because you do source locally. California, we have almost a year-round growing season, the best things from Mexico. But right yeah. now, local production, wow, uh, I'm seeing it in, on the shelves. We, of course, ask if it's from Earl's Organic and our local grocery next door actually features your produce. So this is this is amazing. And Sita, you found a really interesting article. In yeah, actually, I was looking for some good week's review topics, and I found this specific article by Civil Eats. The journalist who wrote it, his name is Steve Holt, and it actually has to do with produce. And we thought, well, let's not do a week's review. Let's do this with Earl. The topic is on small fruit and how buying smaller fruit can help small family farms. What the journalist had said is that in response to the drought, farmers are cutting back on the water that they've been using. In some cases, they're using 30% less water than they were using before. But what happens with this reduction in water is they're also reducing the size of the fruit, which doesn't affect the flavor at all. You know, we've learned from you, Earl, that that actually helps to improve flavor. But what it does is it, it's producing smaller fruit and people tend to prefer bigger fruit. So we want to talk about this. I know that there are a lot of implications. Yeah. You know a lot more about it. Well, you know, it, it is interesting. Our scenario for many years, and, and I, not just in the United States, uh, many cultures around the world, they can be bigger is better. And uh, certainly it can be appealing. And there's, that's a whole mindset. And so there's a bit of marketing that goes into that. And that particular article, I had read it talking about perhaps creating that change in our mindset that, hey, it is okay. Small fruit, you can, there can be associations that it's a runt, that it's, it's the last of the tree and it's not as good. You know, that can be true, but it doesn't have to be. And what we're seeing, is, as you touched upon, was, you know, we are obviously in a drought out here, and the effects of that, one of them is smaller fruit. You know, in talking to different growers about this, the two major factors generally speaking, is the drought, less water, and also the, uh, the warm temperatures throughout the year, which equals uh, lower chill hours, which has just as big effect as less water. The tree goes into shock, but that, maybe there's a better term, but that's one that comes up to mind right now. When they, there's not enough, it's like sleep. I think yeah, they're, they're stressed, this. right? Trees are stressed. And, yeah. that's, that's what I was looking for. They're stressed, and so their bloom gets inhibited, meaning... They're bloom at different time. They're blooming earlier. It's just interesting. We are so fixed on aesthetics in this country, particularly uh, on on anything in life, really. But yep. even when it comes to food, if it doesn't look great, I think most people would decide over a great looking piece of produce, if, even if it wasn't 
as quite as flavorful as the one next to it that looks all gnarly. It took, you know, years, maybe a decade or more to get heirloom tomatoes into the marketplace and this favored because people finally got, wow, the more gnarly looking there are, the more flavor there is. But usually... Yeah, you're right. Bigger fruit, perfect fruit or, or vegetables. Yep. That's really what people are looking for. And yet, you know, if you look at a small farm dynamic, I know they work on a tiny margin of maybe 10% profit in years where everything worked out. And mm -hmm. the average farm income for the small family farm, organic or non-organic in the U.S., was a negative $1,200 last year. Negative. So yeah. small family farms so often can only be supported if somebody, one of the couple works off-site to support the farming operation. So the knowing that some of the crop will be small by default, water or drought or whatever, all the things you just mentioned, but it's almost guaranteed that not every piece of produce will be perfect. If they can't sell that, they're losing. If that's 10% of their harvest, they just lost their profit margin. So yeah. it seems important to to keep educating, which is what you're doing so well. And you, you buy lots of, of smaller pieces and, and offer different deals with that, right? Well, absolutely, and, and we've had to change our relationship to that smaller fruit, meaning that we also need to do that for our customers. Yes. Uh, the advantage, of course, at least for the end user, that it generally is less expensive. And this particular time now, with the drought, the fruit, that small fruit is very intense. They're very good pieces of fruit. I recommend them entirely. One component that I wanted to point out was With the temperatures, the tree gets tricked into blooming earlier. And there is an, uh, an equation. Every week early that the tree produces fruit is one size smaller. Wow. So meaning, wow. Really? That's so yeah, interesting. So, so if it's a three-week early picking this year, which it was, if you normally have size 48, which is a nice big size, that normal 48 count is now a... 72 count. That means 48 pieces of that particular produce okay. item in the box, right? And Correct. if it's smaller, they, they can pack 72, same amount that's of overall volume, difference. but that's a huge Thanks. difference. That, it, that's it really amazing. Is. And, and so for the, for the grower, let's say uh, he can get $20 a box on a big piece of fruit, and he's going to get $15, and that's smaller. So And he's, mm -hmm. and he's getting less boxes because mm -hmm. he needs more small fruit to fill the box. Sure, of course. So, and it so needs more labor to pick them. And it Precisely. <laughs> well, and I know, Earl, that this has been something that you've been really committed to is that, just like you said, you're changing the perception of small fruit and the way that you talk about it to the people who buy from you so that you can continue to guarantee income to these small farmers. And you said one great advantage for the consumer is the price. Another advantage is the flavor because the more yep. that the fruit is struggling, the more sugars it's going to develop and the better you're going to have flavor. And then I want to throw out one other thing and that the third benefit is this is a serving fruit. You know, we apples and everything have gotten so big over the years that sometimes a piece of fruit is not considered one serving, it's considered two servings. So the smaller... Oh, so interesting. Yes, yes, actually. there's They've done some research on this. So um, it is a simple way to keep track of getting enough servings and not getting too many servings of, of fruit, which and, is and the deals, healthy, also high the, in sugar. It's so interesting that you mentioned yeah. it, Sita, and the deals are really incredible. You can get you know three tiny avocados for the price of one big one. And if you don't eat the big one all in one sitting, actually, 
then you have three alternatives with avocados to eat them on three different days and they stay in their skin meanwhile. So I don't know, there's almost an incentive to go small. It's the same flavor, it's the same quality, sometimes even maybe better flavor because they got more sugared or you know this was a stressed harvest, which usually means more flavor and more sugar. Smaller items, easier to grab, easier to eat. You don't need to finish a big apple that you kind of are done with. I don't know. It's If yeah. we can break down that barrier in our mindset and really embrace tiny fruit. Let's this be the year, the fall of the tiny fruit movement. <laughs> I think well, this is great. Let, let's not use the word tiny. It's just smaller. Yeah, sure, okay. yeah it is. It's smaller. It's smaller. Your size, so but bigger in flavor. Yes. <laughs> thank, it's really true. Thank you so great, much, Great, Earl. Earl. Thank you. We'll keep thank educating people. And, oh, man, you're, you're, you're such a resource in this. And these are issues that are not discussed when you go to the grocery store or what you see in the media. So it's yeah. amazing that we can go into the nooks and crannies of the movement and what's critical for a small farming operation, organic or not, really. This is family yeah. farm issues. They need yeah. our support and small fruit is where it's at this fall so look out for smaller produce thank you so much earl we'll have you thank back next week good deal Thanks, <laughs> thank earl. you take care okay great wow feels like the entire hour was about change changing our awareness and and all these access point and what can be addressed in the community you know smaller fruit mike or produce um, items might make the difference for a farmer if we embrace that and that might allow the farmer to stay in business to then bring healthy vegetables to the community next door which was the main focus on our hour on access and affordability of healthy vegetables and fruit for for anyone really and making that Beautiful. connection for people. I mean, the fact that they're doing health screenings at the farmer's market is making that like connection in your brain that health happens here with this food. And it goes right to what your very provocative week's review was about, which is about preventative health care and the things that we can do to mitigate the cost. Because taking care of your health oh, after it's become complicated <laughs> is an extremely expensive thing to do. And we will all have to do it at some point. But the, the most that we can limit that by making healthy food choices or healthy lifestyle choices in advance. Yeah, great. I forgot my eight-minute rant thing beginning <laughs> on the health system and why something needs to be 10 times more or 10% of what it costs here somewhere else, even though it's the same quality. Yeah, really, it's all the same conversation. Health is affordable if we do it right. Health is inevitable or is something we, we need to work on, but really it's doable. We we can crack the health system as it is. We can be preventative. We can combine food and screening. We can address communities, and we get all these benefits from it. We can embrace small fruit or small produce. It's just it's wonderful. It's all here. It's all here. All the parts are here. And come back next week for more parts that are here waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> that was this week's edition of Inorganic Conversation. Thanks for tuning in. In part and in whole. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. 
An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.